0: Welcome to the Soul Talks podcast, where we equip pastors, leaders, and other men and women in ministry to thrive with Jesus in their life and leadership. Now let's join Bill and Christy Galtier, doctors in psychology, spiritual directors, and founders of Soul Shepherding. Hey, Soul Talks friends, something that we really appreciate about you is the way that you are joining us in living out 1 Timothy four sixteen. I wonder if you know that verse. It's so important for all of us who are soul shepherds, who are helpers and uh, teachers and leaders. Paul says, give careful attention to your spiritual life and every cherished truth you teach. For living what you preach will then release even more abundant life inside you and to all those who listen to you. That's in the Passion Translation, which Christian and I have been reading this year. And it's such good wording for emphasizing that in our ministry and in our relationships, we need to care for our own spiritual life, our own soul, and and pay attention to the, the truths, uh, the wisdom, the grace that we give to other people to make sure that it's it's healthy. And in turn, when we do that, the inner journey and the outer journey, abiding in Jesus and in, and in my healthy friendships personally, and then overflowing in my my teaching, my leading, my helping for others. As we do that, then, then living our message releases even more of God's abundant life inside of us that truly is the best life. And uh, we call it the, um, uh, we draw attention to Jesus's teaching there about the easy yoke. That's living in the easy yoke. That's, living where we're walking and working with Jesus and we're in tune with him. So we're taking care of our own soul, our own needs and problems in order to be more helpful to other people. And so we're continuing the series on family dynamics and particularly looking at your soul as it relates to your family of origin, your family today. If you have children or uh, siblings or parents who are alive, then you've got a family today as well as a family that you grew up in, and these relationships are so important. And yet we've got a lot of stress in this pandemic and these times, uh, and so we want to understand better how to have uh, healthy, loving relationships uh, in our families and in all of our groups. And in particular, today we're talking about isolation. The uh, Opposite sort of contrast from enmeshment that we talked about in our last podcast. And we're looking at the problems of when we're, we're detached or isolated from family members, uh, from friends, people that we're, uh, we've been connected to. And we might detach uh, and distance ourselves to sort of cope with stuff. But that can be a um, uh, that causes a lot of problems, including that we tend to project negative things in, into the other, uh, other people when we do that.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking of a client that I helped that really struggled with this because he was born and he experienced some trauma at his birth that led to a pretty big abandonment wound, and then had another really significant loss early on in his life and had a a, a parent who really loved him and and really tried to love him well, but was just Overwhelmed and distracted, a single dad who had lost his wife at a young age, and so this client was kind of reabandoned again in young childhood. And the client was raised in the church because his father was a pastor, and the child felt real pressure to become a pastor because there was some enmeshment there in. That's how he felt close to his dad. That's when he got attention from his dad. That's where he was internalizing some some of the bonding there, was in doing ministry with his dad in the church. But it got suffocating, that enmeshment. It was just too suffocating. And being in his family became unbearable for him. So he separated, and he left, and he went to the opposite side of the United States and just was trying to get so free, but kept finding himself pulled between wanting to be connected and having some sense of belonging and doing that by ways of getting into ministry but then feeling all enmeshed and feeling all confined and and some of the wounds with his dad that he hadn't worked through and some of the early abandonment he hadn't worked through would make it intolerable for him and so then he would isolate and disconnect from the church and he would disconnect not just in a from ministry and from using his gifts in the church but he would disconnect from all people and relationship with anybody and he'd he'd go days and months with you know not seeing anybody and get lonely and get depressed and kind of get lost and kind of waste a lot of his gifts that he wasn't using in any relationship and i remember feeling so sad that Here he had all these gifts and talents and so much to offer people in relationship and um, in the world, even apart from ministry, and it was all just kind of being wasted because he kept swinging between this enmeshment. Anytime he got in a relationship, he would feel confined. He'd feel afraid of being controlled. He'd feel that enmeshment again, that over-responsibility for the person, that then he'd isolate again. And he just kept vacillating between these two.
0: And so one sort of becomes a defense mechanism against the other, so... When we're feeling suffocated in an uh, enmeshed relationship, we'll detach. But then the detachment becomes uh, intolerable because we're we're alone and we we need relationship. We need people, and so then we, we go back into relationship. And so swinging between uh, unhealthy relationship and unhealthy independence, because because really what we need is is intimacy, but also individuality, and to put the two together.
1: Right, and we see this dance with couples, too. I know of many couples I've seen in counseling where actually one will provoke a fight because they want to break the meshment. They're feeling the meshment so painful, they'll evoke a fight, and then they're, they'll live isolated, and there won't be any connection for a very long time. And then there's this desperation that arises out of this prolonged isolation and no connection, to where maybe they'll come back into the meshment for a while and then again the fight the conflict to get back to the isolation or it works where the you can breathe w- again will
0: will provoke a fight when we're detached mm-hmm. and you know if you're feeling unimportant neglected um by your your spouse or a close friend sometimes you you might without realizing it provoke a conflict just to get some stimulation some interaction. In order to to connect, and whole family systems can sort of be built on these different patterns of operating, where uh, it tends to be enmeshed or it tends to be detached, and the, the, the what, what what how conflicts are dealt with, and and sort of the underlying reasons why they're they're pursued. So, in this example that you the first example you're sharing, Christy, uh, I'm uh, gathering that what was really important for this man was that is uh, he talked with you and you asked questions and you listened and you empathized and you're helping him find words for his life and his feelings and his needs and, and so forth that he's, he's learning to, to differentiate. He's learning to develop his own unique identity and to, because he needs relationship. And so now he's experiencing a relationship where he's not being, being smothered or controlled or rejected or judged. But there's there's safety and there's compassion. And it's a kind of relationship that actually gives him breathing space that helps him uh, find himself and discover himself and learn how to be himself in a relationship.
1: Right. But there's there's even times when he would at times isolate from me and from the therapy that he was getting because it was – it was threatening to him because he hadn't really learned to trust.
0: Yeah, and and that's uh, we call that repetition compulsion. That we have a compulsive pattern to repeat, pattern repeat patterns, habits, dynamics of how we were raised, even when it's hurting us. We'll, we'll repeat something that hurts us because it's unconscious. We don't realize that we're doing it. it. It's we keep going back to the the old shoe that that fits, even though it causes blisters because we're we're used to that one, and so um, part of what part of what you do in a, um, a healthy relationship of counseling or spiritual direction is you help somebody to look at their life and to look at their patterns and to and you talk with them about what they're what they're doing even in their relationship with you, so that they can understand what's happening there and what, what was unconscious and was just a reaction They didn't realize what I was doing I, I was detaching from the person who's giving me empathy. I didn't realize I was doing that. And then to be able to become aware of that, now you can have conscious control over that. You can make a choice. And so he can make a choice to say, no, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and talk to my counselor. uh, And I'm going to say how I'm feeling in this relationship and how I'm feeling afraid to keep being vulnerable and keep trusting that I'm going to get hurt because that's the way it always was for me.
1: Yeah. And to trust that I actually would want to see him that I would actually be happy to see him and see he would project from his wound that I didn't want to see him and that I, it was a burden to me to see him. Or he would, he would feel uh, self-hatred because he had a need for me and he felt shame about that because he wasn't allowed to have any needs as a kid growing up.
0: Yeah. So if you're listening and you grew up in a home that, that tended to be detached and, uh, there was isolation. There was one or more parents that just weren't available to you, didn't understand you, didn't connect with you. Uh, that, that gets in us, and it's hard to believe when you grow up in that kind of a context. It's hard to believe that you really matter. It's hard to believe that anybody really sees you, hears you, feels for you, wants you, would, would move towards you with interest and compassion, would ask you questions, I mean, if you didn't grow up with that, it just it just doesn't really make sense, and uh, it doesn't seem to, you know feel eligible for that. You don't you don't even understand it. You don't you don't know how to ask for that. You don't know how to receive that kind of care, perhaps even when it's there. And you mentioned Christy the word shame there, and that's um, a surprising thing to many people. That because I think you know we associate. Feelings and experiences of shame with something like maybe being abused or uh, something very, very traumatic and very harsh and harmful. And we don't realize that uh, actually uh, neglect or rejection or lack of empathy, uh, experiencing uh, coldness or indifference from someone that we need, that will actually create feelings of worthlessness and shame. And so that's trauma A. Trauma B is a typical trauma we think of, of really bad things that, that, that are uh, abusive and painful and totally uh, upsetting our life. But just subtle subtleties of indifference and uh, lack of empathy it can be a, a type of trauma when it's chronic and it's in the context of an important relationship. And that, that subtle trauma can create shame also.
1: Well, and that trauma of neglect can also, sometimes as children, we can make a vow that we're not going to ever trust anybody again. We're not going to ever let ourselves depend on anybody again or need somebody again. And then that can lead us to a life of real isolation, because we're, we are not willing to be vulnerable because it was so painful.
0: I made that vow. I was the oldest of five children. And... Uh, born with genetics, uh, as a a type A achiever. And, and I, um, felt like I needed to be responsible all the time and be helpful. And some of that was just my, my personality. And some of that was the context of my family of seven and different needs that my siblings had, and even my parents. And so I, I had the feeling it didn't, it didn't feel good to be vulnerable and to be needy. And I, I didn't, Realize I was doing this, but I I just shut all that down and focused on everybody else and focused on my achievements and things I could do to make people proud and make people feel good. And I didn't know that I was having increasing problems with anxiety and depression. And I did realize I was having problems socially in high school and uh, that I was discouraged and was isolating a lot. I didn't know that a lot of that went back to this. What you're just talking about there with denying my own emotions and needs.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we hear that kind of "no man is an island" because some of us want to be an island. You know, we we think we can be that we can just exist on our own and depend upon ourselves and not not need anybody and just survive in this independence. And we kind of get this this. Tied to thinking that that would be heroic and would be good and is what we're even made and meant for, but it's not. God said it's not good that man should be alone, and that was before the fall. That was before uh, sin, and man was in relationship with God at that point. But God still knew that that we needed a relationship with another human.
0: Yeah, and so uh, so many of you who are listening, you're. Your leaders, your ministers, your caregivers, and you can relate to sort of self-reliance and uh, helping other people, but I don't so much have needs. And, you know, when we're in this position, the way we find our sense of connection is through ministry to other people, and that's good to to be helping other people and leading and teaching and so forth, but uh, that's not going to be sustainable because it's it's not coming out of the overflow. And so we're going to burn out on that path of giving and helping and leading, but not focusing on our own feelings and our own needs. And so in my case, I had to learn to develop a, a conscious override mechanism. I had to make a, a, a choice as I looked at my life. And I did this in the context of some counseling relationships and uh, learning about my own self where I just realized that I, my the momentum of my life never put me in a place where... I was the one with the emotions and the needs getting help. I was always the leader. I was always the one helping. And there was always someone sort of like, you know, less fortunate than me uh, or in some place of hurt. And I I could help them. And I had to switch that around and say, okay, well, I have feelings too. I have needs too. And I had to make a choice that I was going to develop a new habit. That's what I mean by a conscious Override mechanism. I needed to get a new habit in there that would override my my personality patterns that were unconscious to me and habitual and and those patterns were uh, Patterns of self-reliance and patterns of achievement and patterns of being overly responsible And always focused on other people and how I could help them And so I had to, to learn how to be selfish in the healthy sense, you know Jesus says you have not because you ask not ask that your joy would be full and, and ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking and, and the door will be open to you and people will give to you. And, uh, cause we all have needs. And so, so I learned to do that. I learned to find safe people, you know, in Eucharist and in friends, you know, as well as different counselors or spiritual directors I've met with at different points where I, it was safe for me to say, well, this is what I'm struggling with and to learn how to, to be vulnerable and, and to need some some consideration and to ask someone to to listen to me to pray for me and so forth.
1: Well, I'm so thankful that you went on that journey because without it, I'd be pretty lonely and miserable <laughs> in our marriage uh, because when you were more detached, there were times when I felt extremely cut off and extremely lonely and I and I would Tend to project into that and think that you know you were unhappy with me or that there was something wrong with me, and then I would end up feeling shame because I was projecting into your um, kind of isolating or into your being so independent
0: yeah we had we had going a pattern that's called collusion it 's one of the the um, family systems concepts it's very helpful for understanding relationships in our families or in, in any group that um, a collusion can develop, which is an unconscious agreement. And in our case, that looked like uh, Christy has the emotions and the needs, and Bill has the wisdom and the strength. And so uh, it was just those two dynamics were feeding off of each other. And so the more you had emotions, the less I did. The more you had needs, the less I did. The more I was the one with the insight or the, uh, the capacity and the strength, the more you didn't. And so we didn't realize that we were doing that, but it was taking our relationship into some patterns of, of conflict and cycles of, of um, anger and, and hurt and uh, rejection and reaction. And so we had to learn how to flip that around and work on the other sides of that and let Bill practice being the one with the emotions and the needs and let Christy be the one with the strength and the insight. And uh, as we did that, we experienced whole new levels of intimacy in our relationship
1: well and one of the things that was really key in that was your tendency was to isolate was to be independent was to kind of go into what maybe traditionally is called the man cave in the your man case. cave
0: <laughs> yeah the garage you know or,
1: <laughs> in your case it was books it was study it was you know into reading
0: or sports uh, sometimes we, you know go get lost <laughs> in sports you know yeah
1: well that was at least a little more relational usually the sports part but um, You know, the study was in isolation and you, you know, I used to be amazed how you could go days and days in solitude and silence and study without seemingly having any need for anything relational or anyone else. And I would, I, I remember it being a big deal when you would actually say, no, I, it's good when you take initiative for me, towards me, and you draw me into relationship and invite me into relationship. That's good. I need that. Um, and that was a real learning for me. But it was very different from when I would come to you not taking responsibility for what I wanted and need and asking you for it or inviting or wooing or drawing you into a relationship. Instead, just going in in a meshing way and just putting all my projections on you and anger on you and blaming you.
0: Yeah, uh, in early times when you uh, reacted or judged me, in anger, yeah, you know, that that didn't that didn't woo me. To I had a lot to work through there to see. Okay, you, you're you're hurting and you have needs, and yeah, I haven't been very attentive, and I had to get to a place where I could see underneath that to the the, the real uh, heart of what you were trying to say and have compassion for you. Uh, yeah, because there were uh, times where my solitude and silence were not very healthy, and sometimes that m- might still be the case. Uh, and, you know, when we're healthy in solitude and silence, it, it's relational. It's intimacy with God. It's it's not just head stuff. It's not just accomplishing things. Uh, it's not detaching. It's actually engaging and relating. It's, it's being emotionally present. And some of us go to our Bible in ways that actually detach us. We, we're denying our emotions and needs and shortcomings, even as we're reading the Bible. And we're trying to gather insight or just kind of get into a different state where, where we feel better, but we're not being honest about it. And so that's not a healthy way to read God's Word. That's not a healthy spirituality because authentic spiritual living is always emotionally honest and there's vulnerability there and we're admitting to our brokenness and our needs. And to do that with God and to really be honest and real in that we're doing it with God we need to be doing it with some people too. And the Bible is constantly talking about the connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with people.
1: That's so good, so important. And that's part of why in our institute we have the rhythms and our disciplines of solitude and silence, of that time setting boundaries on everything else in the world, especially those things that we tend to be drawn into a measurements with and all those kind of things for that time with Jesus, that relational energy and connection. With the Lord, but also we do this in community where we have this rhythm of disciplines of, of the withdrawn to solitude and silence, but disciplines of connection and community and healthy soul friendships and soul talk. And our spiritual life needs to have both it needs to have community and healthy relationships, and it needs to have this time of drawing away and times of, for reflection, for prayer.
0: Yeah, so each day in the Soul Shepherding Institute, we have five hours. We call TLC time to love Christ. And then the first thing we do after TLC is we gather in community. And so we do a spiritual direction group where everybody checks in. You know, how did that feel for you? And sometimes it didn't feel good. Sometimes we didn't feel close to God. It wasn't a, a, a blessing, a consolation. or a, a, We didn't feel the warmth of God's presence. We didn't get insights. Uh, but to have a safe place where we can share that and realize I'm not alone. Sometimes we, we heard something from the Lord, and it's a big deal to us, but it might even feel sort of risky to share that out loud. But the, the importance of doing that and, and having people listen to us and pray for us. And so in that back and forth between solitude and community is so important in the spiritual life because uh, each can strengthen the other so that we have uh, an increasingly a healthy independence and a healthy intimacy and they're being put together, and that's the the real protection from detachment.
1: Yeah, and we need a safe community for this. I I think of a couple of the pastors we've had, or or just people that have come to the institute, and they've come, kind of, they've kept themselves kind of isolated from the community for a few days. Like they're stepping back, they're observing, but they're not really entering in. They're not being vulnerable. They're not. You, know, you can just see they're kind of staying isolated. And then usually by the end of the week, they start to let their guard down. They start to let their shield down. They've kind of, you know, they've started to bond a little bit. They started to receive some of the love and the positivity from others in the community. And it's just beautiful to see. We can see the change in their countenance when that happens.
0: Yeah, because our institute communities are a family system. And in any family system, in any group, we will bring into that our personality and our history and our unconscious stuff and so for a a truly healing and reparative relationship and community we need to become aware of those defense mechanisms and those broken places and so we get at that stuff through the the experiences in the institute and especially when um, people go through the whole program and do all four of the retreats that are five days long and then do the monthly online trainings in spiritual direction which is also in community and so you really learn about yourself and you you whatever's been blocking you and whatever walls you've been hitting you learn how to get through those and experience an authentic and vibrant intimacy with jesus uh, and an emotional health that that changes everything in our life and our relationships and our ministry
1: i think one of the things that's really important that i've learned is that for people that are struggling with the isolation, they they need somebody who will continue to come towards them in love, mm. but but respect their boundaries, yeah, and not plow them down. And that's uh, something that I think it scares them if people come at them with too much force or too much. Yeah. You so, know. what does
0: that look like for you, Christy? How does somebody come towards you when you're detached in a way that? inspires your trust and your vulnerability.
1: Yeah, well, they, I need to know they're respecting my choice, my free will, that I have the choice to choose in, to, to respond or to enter in relationally or not.
0: So I or a friend might feel like we're respecting your free will if we just leave you alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And maybe that is, but yet you need something more than that.
1: Yeah, well, I need I need somebody to come towards me with curiosity, to ask questions, to draw me out. And then I need them to, to show that they see me, that they're empathizing with me, that they're validating me, that they're affirming me, they're valuing me, um, and that they're not going to override my separate identity or take away my power. I'm not going to lose myself in a meshment now in this community, that, that I'm still going to be able to be myself and I can still exit at any point I want to. But um, that actually, yeah, I can see that I'm actually missing out by Holding myself so in such isolation,
0: and so that's where I've learned to, if you're detaching, and more commonly I'm the one that's detaching, but sometimes it is you, and so I've learned to come to you and say, "Well, um, oh, do you, do you want to talk, or uh, what are you feeling? I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for you, mm-hmm. and so out of empathy, I give you an invitation, but." there's an option for you to say, no, I'd rather not talk Mm -hmm. now. And that's okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make this happen. I'm not going to force you, but I'm not going to be indifferent and ignore you. I'm going to move towards you. I I see you and I'm, I'm interested in you. Do you want to talk now?
1: Yeah. And usually, you know, if I'm really isolated, I need that more than once. (laughs) Like, You know, I'll need that several times. I remember recently you had done that three times you pursued me with an offer to care for me and I I had refused you all three times. And then I remember finally when I was ready, coming to you and saying, um, you know, I just want you to know I noticed those three times that you took initiative and I appreciated it and I needed that. But I also needed the respecting until I was actually able to take courage.
0: Yeah, so a lot of times, you know, you're listening, a lot of times we we need to put those observations that we're having, uh, our intentions, we need to put them to words and we need to go to our... Our partner or our friend, and just say, you know, we, we haven't I haven't heard in a while how how you're feeling and what's going on with you, and I, I'm I'm interested, and I've been praying for you. Would you like to talk about it? And it means so much to people when we do that, or hey, let's get together for coffee. We haven't met in a while, and then you just you just listen and ask questions, and and really try to understand, and that that builds up healthy relationships and can pull us out of this. Detachment and we've got so much detachment going on in the pandemic, and it's really a, a major explanation why there's been so much social unrest and divisiveness. Because as a, as a society, so many of us are just not, we don't know how to be alone and be happy and, and be put out of our routines, and but yet still have relationships that are healthy, especially with God. And so in the uh, increased social isolation, which is a lot of us are just going berserk and we're just coming unglued and we're spouting off, you know, negative social media posts or we've even got, you know, violent protests. And, and you know, there's there's things to disagree about and there's things to talk about and there's things to protest about. But the ways it's happening for so many people so much of the time, it, it is so dishonoring and angry and disrespectful and it's because in this isolation and detachment we're we're projecting all kinds of unconscious stuff that we don't even realize what we're doing and we we don't as Pascal said you know way, way back hundreds of years ago he said the sole cause of a person's unhappiness is their inability to stay quietly in their own room and what he means is that To be able to to practice solitude and silence in a way that's intimate with god and to get into that sort of a healthy capacity we need healthy relationships with people where where there's empathy and there's vulnerability and there's boundaries and we pray for each other and so as we learn that that intimacy with god it enables us to have some some separation enables us to even go through trials and not get some things that we want and and not just react with with extreme anxiety or anger or or judgment or getting all depressed because we've got this life in our soul that's been cultivated and it it's it's there for us in the time of stress.
1: I appreciate you bringing up projection because in a relationship with somebody's isolating there's great temptation to project into that silence, into that detachment, all kinds of things that aren't true and that's something that I've realized that I do. I've been guilty of, you know, when you would kind of detach or isolate, I'll project into you, you're angry at me, or, you know, you're disgusted with me, or you don't want to be with me, or you're avoiding me, or your work is more important than me. I mean, I'll project all kinds of things into that. And I've learned, you've taught me that it's real. you want me to check it out, to check out my perception. So I'll come to you and I'll kind of say, you know, are you angry at me? And no, I'm just preoccupied. I just have a lot to do or a lot of my mind. I'm sorry you feel angry with me, you know, or even with our kids, sometimes, uh, you know, adult kids, they, they're busy with their own lives. And all start to project into that um, all kinds of blame as to my failures as a mother or my ways I hurt them or all my regrets of you know things and I'll start to think oh you know they're angry about that they don't want anything to do with me anymore they don't want to come home anymore they don't want to be a part of our family anymore like I'll start to project all these horrible things into that silence that I haven't you know had any connection with them or seen them you know and and feel really hurt and I can really work myself up into you know feeling very hurt by my kids and I've learned no I need to reach out to them and I need to have a connection with them again because in the isolation, I'm projecting all this.
0: Yeah, or even to talk to a, a friends. It's not always good to talk to the person, uh, the family member or friend that we're um, projecting onto. Sometimes just talking with a, a friend who will keep a confidence and understanding what our emotions are underneath those projections and then understanding how that particular pattern perhaps is a theme in my life. It's mm-hmm. like typical yeah. of my personality. Right. It's like something I was raised with. And yeah. see, that's where the projections are coming from, right. is, is that historical stuff, those unmet needs, those wounds, those uh, issues inside of us, we're, we're projecting onto the blank screen of the distance in this relationship, and we don't know what somebody thinks or feels that's important to us. And so we're, that's called re-owning that projection, and look, looking in the mirror, and because most of our, our um, personality is unconscious at any given moment in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one study by a neurologist, um, some different neurologists suggests 99.9 percent of our personality is unconscious. It's like astonishing. It's like so much of who we are and what we're experiencing and how we operate in a given moment, we're not aware of that. And so that's why we need uh, emotionally honest relationships and prayer experiences, you know, like we teach in our, our prayer guides uh, at Soul Shepherding, uh, different ways of meditating on Scripture that help us to, to become aware of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what our needs are, what our insecurities are, our sin patterns, so that we can, can admit that to God and realize, okay, that that's part of me. Now, what am I going to do with that? And how how will God's grace help me there so that I can be more loving to God and to other people?
1: You know, as we're talking about isolation in this time, Bill, many people in COVID and isolation are turning, they're turning to drugs. They're self-medicating to cope with the isolation. And um, you were talking about a study that was done recently with rats
0: we, we well, yeah, I was actually studying back in the 1970s, and I was reminded of this uh, reading uh, our friend Ken Baugh's book *Unhindered Abundance*, that's going to be coming out uh, at the beginning of 2021. And he's got a bunch of neurological studies in there, and one is on, uh, from the 1970s, 1970s. They did these studies on rats, and in the first phase of the study, they exposed the rats in a cage to to morphine and uh, amphetamines and other drugs, and uh, the rats were in isolation, and they just became totally addicted to those drugs. They couldn't stop taking them. Uh, and, but then they did another phase of the study where they created what they called Rat Park, and they filled a box with wood chips and different-sized boxes and empty cans to explore, wheels to run on, lots of food and water, and, and they put them in a community of other friendly rats, and then they gave these rats a choice between this rat park community or the cage with the drugs in it and they chose the community even if they even if they put them in there and had them taste the drugs they still went back and chose the the rat park community and then they took the rats that were addicted to drugs and they they gave them the opportunity to be in the rat park or to have the drugs, and they chose the community. They chose socialization. They chose being with people where there, there's, there's fun, and there's adventure, and there's friendliness, and there's touch, and there's, there's healthy experiences and healthy food, and that's the way God has made us, is that we all need a healthy bond, a healthy source of love and joy and peace and power somewhere. And so if we don't have it in relationships with God and people, that, then we will tend to go to unhealthy things Like drugs or workaholism or sinful behaviors or many different things.
1: So, friends, we are so thankful that you are in our community, in the soul shepherding community. And such an example this is of God giving us the church, this community. It's our rat park (laughs) and we need
0: it. You don't look like a (laughs) rat. Thank you.
1: (laughs) But we need this community. We need each other. And so we're so thankful for you. We love hearing from you. Thank you, Marianne, for giving us a podcast review. We just saying that you find soul talks as unique and valuable that it nurses and refreshes your soul like no other. So we're so grateful that you're a part of this community in Christ. We invite you to continue to connect with us and if you would just invite others into this community, that would be such a, a gift too. You can do that by reviewing Soul Talks on your podcast app, by just opening your podcast app, searching to find Soul Talks with Bill and Christy Galtier, And then when you when you see it, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page and there you can just hit your star rating and write a little sentence it will encourage us, it will improve em- Encourage others to listen in, and we hope that you will share this podcast and then have a soul talk with a friend. Enjoy a little walk through Rat Park together. (laughs) So, Jesus, thank you for each person here for inviting them into this community, and thank you for the ways that they're wanting to grow out of isolation into healthy connection and community in you. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen your church in healthy love healthy relationships, healthy boundaries, healthy bonding, Lord, and that many others would come to know you because of the love they see in the life of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Soul Talks podcast. To find out more about growing in your life and leadership, subscribe to the podcast and visit us at soulshepherding.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.